Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Hey, Chris. Yeah. Your mama's so stupid, she got hit by a parked car. Your mama's so stupid, she went to the eye doctor to get an iPhone. <laughs> Your mama's so dumb, she thought KFC was a UFC for chickens. Your mama's so big, her belt size is the equator. <laughs> Your mama's so stupid, when I said drinks on the house, she got a ladder. Really, literally, the only one I remember from Axum is your mom was so fat when she turned around and got lost. That is it. Guys, I know. <laughs> Starting an episode with some yo mama jokes is a little odd, but we could go on. We could literally, we should be going on with these yo mama jokes for about 15 minutes because that's how long the whole yo mama joke segment in the film that we are covering today lasts. And that is not an exaggeration. Chris, uh, first of all, I'm joined by uh, a guest host that you guys are familiar with because back in, I believe, June, June when um, Roger was on his uh, first hiatus filming Meet, uh, I had this gentleman on to discuss an anthology film that flew under the radar, I thought, but but when we did the episode, lots of people kind of came out of the woodwork and said that, hey, I'm glad you covered this. We enjoyed it. And it was all your pick, Chris. Um, and that episode got a lot of good feedback. I'm glad we covered that. Um, so first of all, I'm going to welcome back guys, Chris Schamberger, Chris, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for having me back. I'm so excited. I know. And, uh, you know, generally we like to mix up guest hosts, but we recently discovered something about each other that I, I don't think we knew. And when we discovered it, I'm like, okay, we, we have to have you back because I think we both recently discovered we absolutely despise the same film and we both consider this film the worst horror film we've ever seen am i correct you are absolutely correct actually you can take out the word horror this is the worst film ever made there's not a movie out there worse than this fair enough fair enough so when i saw that because i i think i i, I think there i saw some post in a horror group that you must belong to somebody of course all of the hyperbole with horror fans recently, you know, a movie cannot be okay. You can't seem to find horror movie fans that can just like, like a movie and be like, okay, yeah, it wasn't the greatest, but it was fine. Instead, it either has to be the worst fucking movie they've ever seen or the best movie they've ever seen. It happens with every major release that gets any sort of attention and i think i saw some post in a horror group that was like oh i just watched midsummer it was the worst fucking movie i've ever seen in my life i'm like dude if you think midsummer hereditary it follows any of those movies are are the worst horror movie you've ever seen in your life you have not seen very many movies and you literally have no business commenting on worst horror films because this one guys 
takes the cake. And I commented, I said, apparently you've never seen Axum. And I think you must have saw that comment because you're like, yes, that was fucking her. It's literally the worst. And I have to say, you know, when it comes to the worst horror movies ever made, there's two different types of brackets, right? You've got the big budget, theatrically released films, which are in their own category. But then you have the ones that are no budget, uh, you know, shot on shoestring, you know, over the weekend with some friends kind of thing. And I think in general, between the two, like even if uh, this were theatrically released or not, whatever it is, this is just the worst. This is the cream of the crop bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, guys, if you've not seen this film, um, <laughs> it's it's unlike anything you'll ever see. Uh, when we, I, I don't think you can really hammer home how bad this film is, um, how incompetent this film is. And so I thought there has to be people out there that, that know of this film. So I, I, I wanted to cover it. it it's it's going to be maybe a, a little bit different of a conversation than, than we've ever had on this podcast in the past because the film is just so inept. And, you know, I'm an indie filmmaker myself. I've made films on shoestring budgets. I've made films, you know, in, in a matter of you know, having time constraints. I've made, you know, I understand that. But I, I think that there's a difference between like watching a film by an indie filmmaker where you can at least, Chris, tell that the the, the director, the person, the creative control behind it had some inkling of idea of how to even make a movie. Or what makes a good movie. This film gets everything right. wrong. And if you guys don't believe me or us that this is a terrible film, it currently is the lowest rated horror film on IMDb. And in fact, I think it is the lowest rated film on IMDb. It currently sits at a 1.3, guys, out of 10 on IMDb. And we know IMDb is skewed, but that should tell you something. Also, I don't know how you watched this film for the podcast, um, but I watched it for free on YouTube. Somebody was fortunate, quote unquote, enough to <laughs> share it with the world on YouTube. And if you look it up, it literally says Axum. And then in the same title, it says the worst movie ever made. And then go into the YouTube comments. My favorite comment in all of the comments there, it says there are two types of people in the world. Those who mistakenly believe they've seen the worst movie ever made and those of us who have seen Axum. And that's perfect. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And yes, you know, generally I hate to rip on a film. I hate to be so negative. You know, we, we, when we do this podcast, we generally, even if we don't like a film, we try to discuss things we did like about it. Um I, I don't think that's going to happen here, guys. So if you don't want to hear an hour-long episode of us just tearing a film apart, then you might want to tune out because uh, there's—I mean, there's no redeeming qualities. I'm gonna—I'm gonna—I'll reach in my the depths of my brain and soul to try to pull a redeeming quality out for this film. But I mean, ugh, if you haven't seen it, yes, it's on YouTube. Axum. Check it out before you think we're exaggerating. What's even more baffling is this, this got a theatr or this got a, a release, a wide release. Okay, so I worked at um, Hollywood Video uh, when this came out, and this was on our shelves. And I remember like the the day that it like we got it 
in, in stock, you know, it was, that was always a fun day when you worked at a video store is when all the new releases came in because you'd have to take them out of their cases, shrink wrap the, the DVD cover to get it ready. And I saw this one and I was like, oh, okay. And it was a pretty reputable distributor that distributed it. You know, the, the DVD cover art looks pretty cool. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this home and watch it. And oh boy. Oh boy. It felt like you made a mistake, didn't it? It was like, hey, did somebody sneak this in as like a joke? Like, this can't be real. And just to piggyback off of you, I had a similar experience. Um, I wasn't working at a video store, but I did go into a video store, a blockbuster, in the summer of 2002. uh, And the movie was released by York Entertainment, who did a lot of the Scarecrow movies back in the day. I don't know if you remember those. Uh, There was Scarecrow, Scarecrow Slayer, Scarecrow Gone Wild. Um, I think they also did one called Scream Bloody Murder, but that's a little lesser known. Um, but yeah, I went into Blockbuster, rented it because the cover art, let's face it, if there's one thing nice to say about this movie, the cover art and how they sold it is really, really good. It got me to you know want to get it and take it home. So it features you know a really like uh, splotchy version of the title, very uh, horrifying kind of look to it. And then it's got a, an ax buried in a, a tree stump you see some like face in the back just kind of leering out and it's really well done. So I was excited to see what the actual movie, you know, was about. Take it home. I open it up and immediately I'm just totally perturbed because the VHS is bright yellow and I'm looking at it like, what, what is this? Is this like, did somebody film over follow that bird and just put it back and return it to blockbuster? Like, I don't understand what this is. And in the, the sticker on the VHS, there's no like copyright or year or anything. It literally just says Axum on a standard white sticker in basic black aerial font with, I mean, it just, it looks so pedestrian. And so I was just confused. I was like, this has to be a joke. This can't be really the movie. So I remember just putting it on the movie starts and immediately notice it's taking up about 65% of the screen. It's like a perfect square filmed with like a Viewmaster or something. And I just, I couldn't believe it. And at the time, my mom, she was a huge horror fan and we would watch stuff together all the time. But for this instance, she was doing something else. So I just, you know, was watching the movie without her. I stopped the tape and I went looking for, I was like, you have to come here. You have to see this. And so she started watching it with me and she was like, we paid money for this? Like, what is this? Yeah, it's baffling that any distributor would would watch this and think, oh yeah, let's, Let's market or let's let's pick this up. The only reason I think that they did maybe is because they knew they could probably market it decently enough to to sucker a bunch of people into at least renting it the first week it's out or buying it, you know, when they see the DVD cover art and that they would easily make their money back because I doubt they I doubt they paid a lot to get to, to get the rights for this. And I, I doubt the film cost a lot to make. So it was probably a win, a win situation in their eyes. But for me as a distributor, I would be completely embarrassed to have this film be part of my library of films that I put out there. The first thing, I mean, the film was filmed in 1992. Okay. And it didn't get released until 2002. So there was a 10 year gap. Um, before it actually got a physical release, you know, VHS DVD copies do exist, but, but right now it it is streaming on YouTube. It's been up on YouTube for quite a long time. So if you, if you're curious to, to see this and, and witness the atrocity, the atrocity that is Axum, it's up there for you to, to view. But yeah, I mean, 
when you put the film in, you are treated immediately to a text on screen. Okay. And it goes by so fucking fast that you don't even have time to read it. But like the first thing you notice is like how terribly formatted it is. Like all of the first, I mean, all the first words of the each line are capitalized. The formatting is real, just wonky looking. But that's not even the 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 best part of it, Chris. It's the it's grammatically will hurt your brain to try to read. And I actually took screenshots of it to read. I wrote it down in my notes too. Please, by all means, read them. Okay, because this sets up the film. I mean, this is literally the first thing that pops up on screen. Okay, and it says, "On a cold winter night in 1990, Mr. Mason, a mean and cruel." Towns man left his job for home. After arriving home, he took a shotgun and killed his wife and kids. Then is, and I'm not exact, it says, then is mean man killed himself. <laughs> when the police arrived, they only found the bodies of his wife, daughter, and younger son. His mentally ill son, Harry, was not ever found. Legend has it, he will return in 13 years to revenge his family's deaths. Take away the awful grammar for a second. None of this makes sense. Like, first of all, who is returning? It doesn't specify, really, who's returning to revenge anything. Number two, we know exactly who killed the wife and all those kids. And the person that did it killed themselves immediately afterwards. So if this is implying that the mentally ill son, Harry, is the one that's coming back to revenge, who is he seeking revenge on? Well, that okay. That's a, per- that's a perfectly logical question. But then, okay, so notice it says this takes place in, or this happened in 1990, right? Okay, and it says then in 13 years, he's going to revenge his family's death. So does this mean that this film is taking place in 2003? Because it was made in 1992 and it's very 90s, but are we is this film taking place in the future? That's what I was wondering because I was like with all these pastel windbreakers, there's no way. Oh, and lots of lots of mentions of 90s like character like there's mentions of like MC Hammer and there's like uh, I mean, yes. So uh, this doesn't make a lick of sense. Um, And when you see the flashback here later on in the film that shows us this, it makes even less sense considering what we're seeing on screen. Um, But yeah, I'm not exaggerating. The grammatical errors in this text are just as an English teacher, and I'm sure you as as a writer my mind is like blown that the, even the distributor would not have just, how hard would it have been for the distributor to cut this part out and rewrite it in a grammatically correct way? That would cost them literally nothing. It's honestly the only shocking thing about this movie. Like it's really that bad. And you're right. You get whiplash with how fast these credit title cards or whatever you want to call them. They, they fly by. I tracked it. All this information, 15 seconds. Nobody can get that in 15 seconds. There's no way. No, it goes, it goes really quick. I had, like I said, I had to pause it and take screenshots um, because I was like, what the fuck is this saying? Even though I've seen this, I saw this years ago, but like, okay. So, okay. Okay. It sets up in the film's credit. 
you know, or the, the director's credit, the writer director's credit. I mean, it's setting up a very traditional slasher plot, right? Somebody's coming back for revenge, even though their reason for revenge doesn't make a goddamn lick of sense. They're coming back for revenge. So I'm like, okay, let's see what, let's see how this unfolds. Well, then the film actually starts. Um, <laughs> okay. First of all, this has to be the worst film quality I've ever seen in my life. You literally, it's, you can't see anything clearly. Don't even try. And it's, and, and guys, it is not the fact that it's on YouTube at all because it's the same way on the DVD, like the DVD that made it into fucking blockbuster. Secondly, I don't think a microphone was used at all in this film. <laughs> there was no mic. They were, they were relying on the microphone on the camera, which, okay, low budget. You do what you got to do. But you know what? Have the common sense then to <laughs> tell all the fucking background people to shut the fuck up because this opening scene takes place at like, a, what is a college hallway or something? And it's f- filled with people. That's honestly my note. It says, where the fuck are we? I don't know. I th- I thought it was, is it supposed to be their college dorm? I don't know. But I can't even tell based on what they're wearing. You- you've got one guy in a jean jacket and blue jeans. And then you got a woman in a nice purple cocktail dress. So like, what event is this? Oh, and then the guy that shows up wearing a suit. Yeah, uh, He's a pimp. Like what's going on? Yeah. Well, and the problem is like, the, it's, it's very like the camera work in this is so bad. Like the camera is just like set back and you just have all this group of people. And because everyone is talking, like all the background people are talking, everyone's talking. It is like, you don't know who you're supposed to be focusing on. Like I, I have no clue who, who, who am I supposed to be focusing on? Who are the characters? When it comes to find out, it's like this. Yeah. The guy in the goofy, literally the Walt Disney goofy jean jacket and his, I guess it's his girlfriend. And you can't hear a fucking word they're saying. Like I literally had to get up to the TV, turn the volume up to try to hear what they were saying. And I mean, what you gather is he's inviting her to his grandpa's house for the weekend she is like, oh, I don't know if I can get the time off of work. And he's like, oh, well, you better ask. And she's like, okay, I will. But you know, she's probably going to say no. And then all of a sudden, like other friends show up and you can't hear a fucking word they're saying either. Yeah, the whole thing's a mess. All you get is like, you can hear like bits and pieces of it. Like you, they, they, they apparently plan to meet uh, at this other girl wearing some cocktail dress at her house on Friday at, at 1 p.m. And then this other girl, she even chimes in. She's like, I'll drive too. Uh, and then it does more mumbling. And then the scene just cuts. It ends with him speaking. Yes. The guy is in the middle of a, a sentence and the thing just fades away. Like, no, we got better things to do than listen to you right now. That happens quite a bit in this film. Scenes will literally cut in the middle of characters having conversations. This is not the first time this happens. So what we have is, um, yeah, it's it's just a bunch of friends that are are going to a a grandfather's house for the weekend. Which to me, we find out that this grandfather is like he's alive. Like, were they all like what a bunch of college kids were going to go hang out with grandpa for the weekend because he's alive, right? He's alive. This next scene is this grandpa, right? Right. Okay, so you're trying to tell me all these young college-age kids are, are all excited because they're going to go hang out with Michael's grandpa for the weekend. I mean, he must be a really cool guy. I mean, I'm not going to judge, so. 
Well, I will judge the spooky stock music that immediately kicks in once it decides, hey, we're done listening to this guy talk and we're just going to cut him off. The stock music just immediately starts. We see some like hazy, uh, weird, drunk vision goggles from high school health class shot of like a person walking into a house or something. Yeah. And the old man, the grandpa lives there. And he he is upstairs and apparently he hears the door open because in a scene that lasts probably a minute and a half, we hear him like mumbling and cussing to himself as he's coming down the stairs. He's like, God damn it. Who's coming into my house? I'm getting my gun. And he goes like to shut the front door. And as he's going into the room to get a gun or whatever, the killer, I guess his name's Axum. I don't know. I'm just going to call him Axum. Call him Axum. Yeah. Axum like appears like literally in the doorway, like right behind him, like axe raised, not even six inches from him. But then the next scene, the grandpa walks into the room. Nobody's even behind him. <laughs> he has time to go into his closet. He's loading his gun. He's like, this motherfucker coming into my house. I'm going to shoot him. And Axum appears. And this grandpa, <laughs> he gets axed in the closet before, not before the most, I he, he his death is literally, he goes, oh shit. And can I say, I don't know if he is axed to death or if he has gently touched with this device that is immediately slowed down upon like hitting him. <laughs> you can clearly see the actor like, you know, just hesitating as he brings it down. Well, keep in mind, this is, it's not an axe, it's a hatchet. Um, and keep in mind also, this is the only like hatchet axe like device death we get. In this film. For a film called Axum, right here is the extent of the axing you get in this film. Exactly. And also, you know, you were just talking about like he immediately gets defensive about somebody's in his house or somebody's coming into his house. He's looking for a gun and everything. Why do these people want to go here if this is the person, if this is their host? That doesn't seem smart. I I mean, I'm just baffled that these kids want to go hang out at grandpa's house for the weekend. I don't know. Maybe Axum is doing them a favor. Like, hey, you know, I know these kids are coming. This guy's probably going to fuck them up with his gun. Let me go ahead and take him out so they can have at least a little bit of fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, now we get the opening credits. And uh, when I say, I, I don't... <sighs> when, we, when we talk about films that were just filmed by a bunch of friends over a weekend, this is the epitome of it. And I, I feel like there are random scenes thrown in here just because they could film them. And this is obviously one of them because over the opening credits, we are treated to the Morgan state university step show that goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And over this, we are getting like the credits. And I, I love the fact that the director, Michael Mufemi, Mufemi, he has to put that his, nickname is his nickname in quotation marks and it's basically the exact same as his last name just spell <laughs> like dude that's really not a nickname that's your that's your last name okay so there's a couple things i actually want to mention about the director really quick um michael Mfume uh is actually the son of i don't know if he's currently the president or if he was um but he is the son of the president of the naacp uh, and also uh, the member of the House of Representatives named Kwesi Mfume. And 
if you guys think for a second that we're being way too harsh on this movie, you know, this is a, you know, talented up and comer, you know, we need to judge a little bit less harshly. I'm not doing that. This guy, this, this director, Michael Mfume was charged with rape in 1994 and released on $35,000 bail. So in my opinion, if anybody out there deserves to have their film shot on, it's probably this guy. So I have no qualms about going in on this movie. And frankly, even if he didn't do that, this movie deserves it anyway. So no, well, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a difference between like, you know, constructive criticism. Um, you know what I mean? Like when you're when you're watching something and you see that you, you, there's a okay. I could give constructive criticism quite freely if there was any grasp. Works uh, out. Yes, if there yeah. was any grasp of this dude had any idea of even how to make a fucking movie. Like I don't even know where to start with giving him constructive criticism. Go to go to film school, watch a fucking movie. I, I don't know where to go because it's just that inept. And yeah, I knew about I knew about his father being the president of the NAACP. I don't know. Yeah, like I said, I I don't know enough about it to to know if he still is or if he was during this time and maybe that's why this dude was like oh i'm gonna make a movie because my dad i I don't know Uh, i mean i guess one good thing about this film okay one positive thing about this film that i'll say chris is you know this is 92 we're we're getting out of the golden age of the 80 slasher films which to me is like that's my thing right there and you know one of the criticisms of the golden age of the of slasher films or slasher films in general for a while has been the lack of diversity, right? Or either the lack of diversity, or if you have a character, a black character, for example, they're usually the first to die. That's become a trope. The, the blackening, the, the recent film kind of played up on that quite a bit. I will say, I mean, this film is basically an all black cast, all black crew, with the exception of a few people we'll talk about here in a little bit. But like, so I guess on that sense it is refreshing to see a, a a black helmet slasher film it's just a shame that it is so poor yeah i love the idea of saying like i want to make an all-black slasher movie love that idea but this is not it yeah i i mean it's it's rough it's a rough watch i mean i i can imagine there are a whole slew of people that read in this like me and you did based on the cover box art and could not even get 10 minutes into this film i i would bet this film probably has been shut off way more times than, than it has been watched all the way through because again this opening sequence goes on and on and on and on and, and just and can we talk about the title the actual title card for the film Oh my God, this PowerPoint title. Yes. I mean, if that doesn't tell you anything, I I don't know. Well, it's very clear that the title axiom, because that's not the original title of the movie. The original title of the movie is The Weekend It Lives. And that was the title for 10 years until it was picked up by York Entertainment and then they changed it. So clearly this is them spending maybe half a cent on changing the title in the film from The Weekend It Lives to Axum. And it literally looks like the earliest form of PowerPoint. It takes up the entire bottom of the the screen. It stretches from one side to the other. It's got that like shadowed shading from like white to black with the the basic aerial font, like almost just like the sticker on the, the actual VHS tape. It's so bare minimum basic. And it just shocks me that this was the amount of effort that was given to to it but in hindsight i mean look at the film itself would you be putting a lot of effort into this no 
unlikely. No, and again, I think York Entertainment saw this as a as a really easy way to make a few bucks. You know, I really do. I think that's that's why they picked it up, and they weren't going to put any effort into it. Like I said, they couldn't even be bothered to retype the opening. Uh, font to to make it uh, grammatically correct. They're certainly not going to be bothered to come up with a nice fancy title card for the film. When I talk about like this, you know, an indie filmmaker should find and be able to utilize any sort of resources that they have available to them, as long as it drives the plot. And I feel like this step scene and then what comes after it is just there because he could film it like it has nothing to do with the plot after this after the opening credits and the step scene we get then get this announcer guy that is telling us or telling the group about a party that's happening that night but that party has nothing to do with anything we're going to see in the film like it's not like this party is where all these people are going to be killed no this is he's just announcing some random university party hosted by who is this dj Snick him up, lick him up, pick him up, dick him up, lick him up. DJ, the longest fucking DJ name in the history of fucking DJs. Yeah, I have no idea. But um, can I backtrack for just a second? Please tell me you caught when the credits were were coming up and it was showing like who was in it, you know, casting all that kind of stuff. Did you catch that it says casting by Belva Scott, art director Randy Lee, and then it fades away, and then the next credit comes up and it says. Casting by Belva Scott, our director, Randy Lee. <laughs> yeah. And this movie, I swear, this movie has so many scenes that happen right after it just happened. Like, it's the same fucking take. And I'm convinced, like, this is my theory. I'm convinced that this director's family went to the movies when he was growing up. And they have really tiny bladders and they have to go to the restroom a lot. So he's like, you know what, Mom? When I make a movie, I'm going to make it where you don't miss a goddamn thing. So you ain't got to worry about going to the bathroom. I got you. <laughs> Yeah, we'll repeat everything for you. Well, also, like, <laughs> uh, the production company, Nubian Prince Productions and Too Smooth Films Productions. Uh, dude, there is nothing smooth about this film. Um, uh, oh, and uh, two script supervisors. I don't, don't ask me their names. I don't know. But two script supervisors. Is there a script? You know damn well this film. Did, you, somebody, okay. Prove me wrong. Somebody out there, find me the fucking Axum script. Michael Mufime, if you're listening, send me the Axum script, please. Please. I beg of you, Michael Mufume, send me the Axum script so that I know there was an actual fucking script. Uh, because you cannot convince me that this film actually had a formatted 80-page script. I, I will never believe it. This is the most improvised thing because you try to tell me there's a script that was written with a tw- uh, a 20 minute yo mama joke session in it. <laughs> no, because that's what we're that's what we're uh, subjected to for the next 20 minutes after this announcer announces his party, he literally starts like picking on audience members and doing a yo mama joke battle. And let's keep in mind, Chris, this announce these people have nothing to do with the plot. None of them are any of the characters that that come to this house. It's just random. And I have to say, too, this movie is only 70 minutes long with credits. It's only seven, 70 minutes long. And this Yo Mama joke and step show scene and everything, I did the math on this. 7.1% of this horror movie is Yo Mama jokes and a step show. That's the equivalent of picking up like one of Stephen King's really big books, you know, like it or something like a thousand pages. And 70 plus pages of that would be Yo Mama jokes. Okay, but... 
Like, can you imagine? Well, I, would, I would love to read Stephen King's Yo Mama jokes, to be honest with you. <laughs> because the ones in this film, whew, I can't even remember. Your, I think one of them is Your Mama's So Dumb She uh, uh, Studied, or yeah, Your Mama's So Dumb She Studied for a Blood Test. That's one of them. <laughs> How hilarious. Okay, so literally after 7% of the movie, we now cut to this group of rant. Okay, we cut to the group of, of friends outside talking about meeting at the girl's house. Now they're meeting at 2 o'clock. They originally said 1 o'clock. I, can we also stop and and say that we – there's a lot of characters in this movie. Would you not agree? There's a lot of characters, but I don't even know if I would call them characters. It's just people. Like they don't have names as far as I know. They don't have any kind of like – we don't know their connections, their history, like personalities, none of that. They're just people standing around. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I guess that's what I was getting at is there is about, maybe there's about 12, maybe even more people that end up going to this grandpa's house for the weekend. And I think I know one of their names. Yeah. And it's Michael because of course he, it, of course, writing and directing the thing, writing quote unquote, and directing the thing wasn't enough for him. He has to star in it. Although, I mean, God. So, the, yeah, they're talking about meeting. And then we get this other guy, I guess. Is this Michael? He's talking to that short hair girl and she's upset about something. But she doesn't even go along to the trip. The thing is, like you mentioned earlier, nobody's mic'd. Like, we can't hear what anybody is saying ever. And on top of that, they've added in like this, I don't know, hip hop music. And it's just endless. You know, like you can't talk over it. You can't be heard over it. And it. It reminds me of all those like really bad first dates I used to go on where I would look forward to riding passenger, you know, in the guy's car and talking, getting to know him. And then he'd blast like the worst fucking music ever. And like, okay, I guess I'll just sit here with my hands in my lap. Like, oh my God. that's kind of the vibe I got. I think we can all relate to that. That's happened to me many times. But uh, yeah, no. So like, they're talking about something. He's like, oh, come on, baby. Don't be that way. This is the last time. I mean, I was, I, Chris, I was trying my hardest to make out what they were saying because I want to, you know, I, I love to be thorough on this podcast. <laughs> But, I've told you so many times, like you're so good about like breaking down what happens in the movie and talking about it as it happens. I, t I messaged you. I was just like, there's no way you can do that for this movie. And if you are able to pull it off. Like, <laughs> I Yeah. So she's upset about something, but she doesn't go, like this girl doesn't show up again. Uh, I think this is supposed to be the girl though. I did. I mean, there are little things because I want, I did. Okay. I will admit I watched this twice. I know. Oh God! I know. I know. But I, I felt like I had it had to be my duty because I do like to be thorough. And I was like, let's see. I'm gonna watch it the second time. I'll turn the volume way up. I, re I will really pay attention and try to piece this together. Uh, I think she's like, what's her name? I think it's Veron. I think her name's Veronica, and he's the one that when his girlfriend later on like tells tells him to go bug off he's the one she call he calls her on the phone remember he's like hey veronica baby what's i think this is supposed to be her so it's like she's his side piece i think and like so she's mad because she knows that he's going away for the weekend with his real girlfriend and that's why she's like he's like no baby this will be the last time I, that's what i gathered i don't don't know. ask me i'll i'll go with it and just say i agree good, good observation <laughs> but then you cut to them picking up the group and getting into random cars. Um, you still can't make a word of them of what they're saying, especially in this scene. When you talk about that rap music blaring, boy, oh boy, is it blaring in this scene, which is fine. I mean, the music actually isn't bad. The problem is characters are talking and the music is so loud. You literally cannot hear anything they're saying. So they all get into these cars and they drive to this house. 
Um, and so we get, you know, a night shot of the car pulling up to this house. Uh, when they get out, okay, this guy in the yellow shirt just comes out of nowhere. He, how, where did he come from? Probably one of the movie's plot holes. He just climbed right out and just helped himself to the being in that scene. I have no idea. I can't <laughs> he comes around like the book. And when they pull up and get out of the car, he comes around. He's like, oh, I'm glad you guys finally made it. But there's no other car. Did he walk there? I don't know. Again, I'm <sighs> if I'm going to question everything that happens in this movie, we're going to be here for a while. I do like this girl, this girl that all she can say, is she's hungry. And her boyfriend gets so fed. I don't know if you, her boyfriend gets so fed up with her saying that she's hungry that he, he rips her wig off. Did you see that? Yes, I saw that. That was great. He's like, bitch, shut up and rips her fucking wig off. I'm like, oh, damn. I mean, I will say, I will say, okay, a positive. I know, I know. I do think, Chris, I really do think that these people, I'm not going to call them actors, I think they were having fun. I'll agree with that, yeah. And I think it you can tell they're having fun. Like, I don't think, they're, they can't act their way out of a fucking paper sack. Uh, there's no characterization. They have no names. There's literally 15 people here, and you don't know any of their names. You don't, and it's because the quality of the film is so bad, you can't even tell who's who half the time. It, beca- it really becomes, you're trying to follow these characters solely based on the color of clothing they're wearing. Because you can't make out facial features. But the positive is, again, I do think that these people are having fun. And some of the little improvisation things that go on that have to be improvisation, because I know this didn't have a script, are actually quite fun and funny. So I will give it that. The characters were having fun. The the people involved were having fun. Okay, so after he rips the wig off the girl and and she goes and they all go into the house, we cut to two drunk bums. And I'm I'm not being derogatory that is how they're credited in the film did you notice that the the end credits they're credited as bu- the bums they're talking about apparently they just saw axum and I, I know this is supposed to be some sort of comic relief where like they're they're drunk and they like even pick up a bottle of beer from the ground and drink it and they're kind of like enticing each other to go back and like face axum or confront him or or something i don't know yeah, he's like, he's like, he was 10 foot tall. You go get your seven foot ass and, and fight him. He's like, no, you go fight him. And then they hear a noise and they look at each other and they're like, he's coming. And they take off running away. And as they're running away, you clearly hear the director yell, cut. Yeah. If the opening title cards or whatever were not shocking enough, this is, this is breathtaking. I've seen movies, you know, even big budget Hollywood movies, Chris, have gap, you know, have goofs in them. Like you've seen, you, you know, you've seen t- plenty of films that have little goofs in them, or you may, you might see the, the, the top of the boom mic or whatever. That's not going to be the case in this film because they don't use microphones. But to hear a director clearly yell "cut," and it's not the first time. It ha- it's not. Oh my god, it's not. It happens again. It happens again. I mean, that's a level of ineptness um, that goes beyond anything that we we can fathom i mean did who edited this yeah i have no idea but i will say to anybody who is watching or listening to this and has not seen axum if you want to see just this part with the director yelling cut it's 14 minutes and 40 seconds so just go to youtube 14 minutes 40 seconds you're welcome 
we then because these these two bums are never seen again. They run away dramatically and they're gone. We never see them again. Apparently, one of the guys and his girlfriend from the house they decide to go walking in the woods. And you know, I, I appreciated this attempt at like some sort of characterization, even though I don't know who these two are. Um, I was like, okay, we're going to actually spend some time with at least uh, two characters to get to know them. Well, don't be. <laughs> I, I definitely jumped the gun there because, like most of the movie, you can't hear anything they're saying. And then um, this random other girl shows up and pulls the girl away from the guy. And I'm assuming, I, I think they're talking about the fact that the other girl that just shows up is telling the girl that her boyfriend is cheating on her. Is that what you gathered? Yeah. Something about he's been looking at other women or something. And yeah, I, I, I didn't talk all of it, but it just seemed like there was some friction in their relationship as far as I got. Yeah. And she's like, he's a dog. And I'm like, okay, great. Some attempt at characters, characterization. But then as the two girls are, are like strolling around talking, it cuts, it cuts again in mid sentence. Like the girls don't even finish saying what she's saying. And it cuts to the next scene. <laughs> Isn't it so funny? They can cut them off in the middle of them having dialogue, but they can't cut early enough to get cut out of there, like him yelling cut. Like, it's it's insane. Uh, okay. Now we move back to the house. And again, when I say that this is a large group of people, guys, I mean, this is literally, I mean, it's over a dozen characters. And we get this dinner scene, first of many dinner scenes. You know, I, I, I've heard criticisms of, of my films to be honest with you, uh, from people that, that say that, oh, your films, you have too many scenes of just characters sitting around talking. Not like this, Troy. This is... No. I was like, this makes me feel really good about my film. Like, one of the things about, like, oh, teacher shorters, like, oh, there's too many scenes. There's that long scene of the teacher sitting around the dinner table talking. Okay, but it's one scene and it, it's not as long as this. I mean... Woo, this goes on. And again, you cannot tell me, Chris, that this was not improvised. It had to be because I have no idea what was said. What was like, I, I think every movie, of course, has a beginning, a middle and end. Just like every scene should probably have a beginning, a middle and end. This one scene with the dinner, I have no clue what was said. No clue what was what happened. Like you could have taken this whole scene out and I think the movie would have still worked fine. It's almost like it's just there to fill in runtime because it's already so short. You know, and they needed something. Okay. Yeah. And there's, there, I do, I will also say, and again, I'm trying to heat pot. You know me, I'm trying to heat positives out. I do think that this cast has some chemistry together. Like they're, they're having fun. If, if I gather anything from Axum, if I'm going to give any praise to Axum, it is these people are having fun together. And I think, I believe that they're friends. Uh, because the, the, the scene really starts very jokingly where they are joking with each other and going back to your mama jokes. And, Finally, one of the guys is like, oh, can we stop with the Yomama jokes? And instead he gets up and proceeds to tell literally, literally a five minute joke. And it's one of those bad Johnny Green jokes about his teacher knowing that Johnny, little Johnny Green is bad and they're going through the alphabet. And every time that she comes to a specific letter, she doesn't call on him because she knows like a letter A, he's going to say ass. Letter B, he's going to say bitch. Letter C, he's going to say cunt. And so finally, the only letter that's left for him is is F. And of course, it goes to where you think it is. But this is a five fucking minute long joke. And these people sitting around this table think that this is the most hilarious fucking thing they've ever heard in their life. Just while we're here, why are there so many people in this movie? It almost feels like the director 
had all of these friends from college or whatever, and he kept making promises to everybody, like, yeah, I'll have a spot for you in the movie. Yeah, sure, you know, we, more the merrier. Come on in. And he got to a point where he was just like, you know what, let's just throw everybody into this one house and, you know, whatever happens, happens. And, you know, looking at it from an outside perspective, I think this could have worked a lot better if it had been narrowed down to even like six or seven people. But because the the character count is just so high, I'm not saying this like, you know, based on physical appearance or anything like that, but like I could not tell who was who because we don't establish anybody as individuals. It's just a mass group of people all the time. Exactly. And nobody really comes out as being like the main character. Like think about all the great horror films of that. I'm sure this one probably took inspiration from think about Halloween, Friday, the 13th, any of those 80 slashers. It's pretty quickly established like, Oh, this is the final girl. This is, you know, the, we don't get that with this film at all. Like there's nobody here that is established as Anybody that we are supposed to be like, oh, that's the main character. Uh, and for a, a film that has so many, like like you said, so many characters, and for it being like a black slasher film, which is extremely rare, wouldn't it have been awesome, Chris, if they would have developed like a kick-ass black final girl? Oh, yeah, absolutely. But they, they don't. They don't. They just give us... All of these random characters, like I said, I think I know one of their names, maybe two. I think there's a girl named Nikki, but that's it. And yeah, so they're just all sitting around and like, then he tells this joke and then they start to argue about like what they want to do, you know? And and they mention like, oh, we're going to go out for a, a walk. And one of the dudes is like, oh, I'm not going out for a walk. It's, are you kidding me? It's dark out there. There's probably some maniac out there. So you can tell that at least the director had a concept of like the tropes of horror films because I do really think this was like an early attempt at like being self-referential. Oh, you get these characters. One of them, one of them smart enough to know you're not going to go wander in the woods. And he's like, I'm not going to wander in the woods. You don't know what the fuck's out there. Uh, there's the problem is though, this is so ineptly made that it doesn't feel intentional. It feels like anything it got right was a mistake like you know we didn't mean for that to come across as successful or we didn't mean to like have that idea you know behind the scenes or anything like it just it all comes across as like an accident so if something did work it's just because it worked by you know the will of god or something it wasn't like the director set out to do that because nothing in this movie feels accomplished or successful at all it doesn't feel like it's made with care well i would i would i would say yeah you were 100 right especially if, if this was improvised and i'm going to give all the credit to the actor for throwing that in there you know throwing that little jab about i'm not going out in the woods you don't know who's out there yes um because i doubt that was the intent of of the film or even this particular scene because everything else is just one thing I caught in this film, right in this moment, though, is they're deciding. Some of the group decides they are going to go out into the woods, and one of the girls asks Mike if he, if his grandpa has a picnic basket. And so when I heard that, I'm like, oh, so this is the grandpa's house. This is the grandpa that got killed earlier in the film. My question is, no, never mind. We'll get there. <laughs> I don't want to jump ahead. You probably know what I'm going to say, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll we'll get there here in a little bit. So it's the same house. They're here for grandpa, even though none of them seem very concerned about where the grandpa is, which is kind of where I'm going. The girls, two of the girls, let's call them Jane and Sally, because literally I have no idea what their names are. 
they go to the, uh, I guess, the kitchen or whatever to look for a picnic basket. They're opening like cabinets and drawers, and they open a drawer and they see a gun. And the, one of the girls like, "What's that for?" And the other is like, "I don't know. Let's get out of here." And this could have been some good foreshadowing um, if they were to really establish like a final girl. You know, like one of them could have been a final girl and they know that the gun is in the house where it is. You know, that could have came into play later, but it just doesn't really work out that way, I guess. I, I don't know. Well, but my yes, my point, my my whole thing with this particular scene is what's the point of this? Um, It's not like the gun is the grandpa's gun. This grandpa has guns laying around everywhere. Like, I'm sorry, this grandpa he better not have young children coming to his house because there are literally guns everywhere. There's guns in drawers. There's guns. In, there's guns everywhere. In hindsight, I kind of wish the director did the black Christmas thing with the um, sorority house mother with all of her booze like hidden all throughout the house. I wish it would have been like that with the guns here, like just random places of like, um, why is there a gun in there? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, my, I guess my point is like, why show us a gun in a drawer? Like it has nothing to do with Axum. It's the grandpa's gun and they're so freaked out about it. Like if you, if the intent was to like, Oh, give a hit that something is wrong in this. Why not put the bloody hatchet in the drawer? Exactly. I mean, it's just like, it's so inept, but yeah, I don't know. So the girls are freaked out. Okay. So we cut to them, the group later that night and they are standing at a fire pit. I, Okay. I guess I gathered this more clearly the second time around. The first time I had no fucking clue what was going on. What we get here is Mike. He is uh, telling the story, even though we don't hear him. Literally, there's no dialogue. I was looking closely. Was he moving his mouth? Yes. Like, I couldn't tell based on what I was seeing on my computer. Like, I I really could not hear him. I couldn't see his mouth moving. So I just made the inference that he was telling a story. Yes. I don't no, know. His mouth is moving. Like he's supposed to be taught. I think there's supposed to be dialogue here because he's standing up and everyone's like seated around him and he's like telling a story. And what he's telling us also, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. Was he standing in the fire pit? Did it look like that to you? Yes. I mean, this fire pit is like a long, it's like maybe a, like a 10 foot long brick thing. And so there's a fire pit in the middle and then he was standing on it. Yeah. But he's, He's uh, he's apparently telling the the group of the story about Harry, and we get a flashback. We actually see this in a flashback, and so this flashback starts, and it's a bunch of kids telling. Um, I guess one of them is supposed to be is one of them supposed to be the mentally challenged kid. I guess so. He was out playing with his friends. I don't know, but we get this flashback of Harry getting home from work. Um, Shooting his wife, which clearly is a man in a wig. <laughs> and then going into his kid's room and like shooting what is clearly pillows. <laughs> Not before he goes into his room and, and sits down <laughs> and shoots himself. Doesn't this whole thing just remind you of some like PBS reenactment of the DeFeo murders? <laughs> I would imagine that has to be, you know, 
I don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is a very Amityville 2. Like, if you've seen Amityville 2, which is based on the actual real DeFeo murders of, of that right. whole story, there's a scene that's almost eerily similar to this, although it's w- done way, 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 way better. So he sits on the sh- bed and he, like, sticks the gun in his mouth and this guy shoots himself. And then these cops who could not give a shit less, they show up and they're like, oh, look, he shot his family. Oh, this must be the motherfucker that did it. I have a question here. The guy that sits on the bed and shoots himself is clearly white. Yeah, I noticed that. So why is Axum a hulking eight foot black man? Yeah, I have no idea. Because the wife was white too. You see, you the quality's bad, but you can tell it's a, a white man in a wig. So did they adopt this black child? I have questions. I have questions. Did you also notice when, uh, what's his face, the the dad goes to shoot himself with the gun, he kind of like does this hesitating, like, I just did it, but almost like the effect didn't go off in time. Like he jerks his head back, but nothing happens. And then like a second after that, that's when the the blood splatter finally happens. I did notice that. Yeah, it looks like he, yeah, because he looks right at the camera for a second. He's like, uh, and then it's, what do I do? I just did it. (laughs) But yeah, I was like so confused about why is this a white family then? Yeah, I don't know. Weird. It's just weird. And then we get this odd scene of like hair or somebody standing, holding a dead kid. And then, and then what I'm assuming is supposed to be young Michael sees this and like gives him something, hands him something. Is it like a coin or something? I don't know what it is. It does come back into play at the end, which I got to give him credit for at least following through with something. But then he goes over to his grandpa, the one that was killed earlier in the film and like pointing, but like nothing is there. And you can tell he's saying something, but there is no dialogue. My impression was that the kid sees like corpses propped against like the fire pit or something. And then when he brings the grandfather back to show him the corpses are gone. But yeah, but what does he get? He gives Axum something. And I want to know, like how did Axum all of a sudden become a, I thought Axum in the opening credits was supposed to be a kid. And in this scene, Axum is his full grown, you know, eight foot tall self. I like, this makes zero sense. Ed Axum is black and his dad and mom are, I don't know. I don't know. Now, it's a mess. Now we cut back to the guy, another guy in glasses. There's two guys in glasses and that fucking confused the fuck out of me. I thought it was the same guy. The- so glad you said this because I thought I was going crazy because not to jump ahead too much, but one of the black guys in the glasses dies, right? No. Okay. He, okay. He, apparently he does not die. Because he's in the final, he's he comes back, and the only reason I knew it's because he's wearing the exact same clothes. I thought the same thing. Like if you're gonna make, like the uh, if you're gonna make glasses become such a prominent part of a death scene, just have one character wearing them because there's two guys that are wearing glasses, and I'm not being they look very similar. No, they really do. And that's a good point to make. So many characters, like even if we couldn't catch the names or personalities or anything, at the very least physically make them different enough so we know like oh that's the bitch with the you know pink hair tie that's the bitch with the glasses that's you know you know that kind of thing so like we at least separate a little bit this movie doesn't even try to make an effort with that no 
We're just, it, it, yeah, I've never seen, I have not seen a movie that, that cares so little about like characters than this one. I mean, it's, it's kind of just, whew. uh, I mean, characters are your, like, that's the backbone of your film. And when you don't even care about them enough to, to give the audience any inkling of who they are, what they're, it's just baffling. And that perfectly shows in the next scene, because when we get to a character with an actual name, oh my gosh, his name. Yeah. Well, we have to get a scene with another guy in glasses talking to his girlfriend who's very clearly trying to let everybody know that she is reading Ebony because it's like right in front of her face opened up. I don't know if Ebony got Ebony magazine got a, some sort of money for this, but she's holding it like literally in front of her face until he comes down. And then we find out she's mad at him because he's been looking at other girls all weekend. And so she goes to bed. Um, with her friend who comes down and then he, this is when he calls Yolanda, the girl from the beginning. That's all I gather. I don't know. Yes. Yes. Now we get, now we get some characters. I got to give these three credit. At least they're trying to act. Yeah. Okay. This random trio of, of Sarah, Brian and Chris who? And breakfast. Breakfast. Yes, you heard that right. This guy's name is Breakfast. Sarah and Brian are the only white characters in the well, besides the dad and the dad that blew his family away that's supposed to be Axum's dad. Uh, these are the only white characters in the film. Breakfast is their black friend, I guess. Are these okay, so who are these people? Are they were these people on the way to the house? Well, who are I don't know who these are. Were they going to the party or this house for the weekend, or are they just random people? My impression is they're random people kind of like that a uh, banana eating girl from that friday the 13th movie like just somebody else doing their own thing like not involved and yeah okay well they run out of gas and they're they're quite upset about it especially breakfast he is quite pissed that they ran out of gas brian is like oh you know that's what i'm saying we gotta go get help let's go look for help so they leave sarah and breakfast and brian tra- traipse into the woods to look for help <laughs> this is when is this the same guy in glasses that tried to call Yolanda is now he's in the bathroom. And when he's like trying to fill the bathtub or something, this other girl comes in and he starts like making out with her in the bathtub. Poor shame. I don't, again, it's so hard. I like, I don't know who this, these characters are. It's I, I I'm trying here and I just don't know. But then we get another long breakfast scene. So I want to try to figure out the timeline of this film right because now it's breakfast not the not the character it's real breakfast all the characters go downstairs to eat breakfast and they even say it's breakfast time they're all they're all very excited about breakfast time because the one girl comes out she's like what's for breakfast and the other girl's like everything just eat what you want and they're talking about like getting laid the night before who got laid last night oh yeah and if you say one word i'm gonna have your balls for breakfast i thought you was a vegetarian yeah I guess some attempt at humor, but they all fucked the night before, apparently. Uh, one guy says he's going to wash his car? <laughs> I don't know. My favorite, though, is the guy that wakes up. He comes downstairs for breakfast, eats a little bit, and then says, I'm going to go back to sleep. Like, kindred spirits, my guy. I felt that. It's Yeah, it's 10 o'clock in the morning, they say. My, my only problem with this scene, besides you can't hear, you don't know who the fuck's who, is that the next scene then makes it make zero sense. 
timeline wise, because the next scene is breakfast and Brian going to that walking through the woods, which clearly was the evening, right? Right. So were they walking for eight, nine hours straight? And now it's the morning time when they finally find a place. Like I, I was confused. I was like, what the fuck? Okay, so they were walking all night? I, I, Because it still looks dark. And okay, I will say, like, once when they get to this house, the, the actual, like, um, establishing shot of them walking to the house actually looks really good. It's like, oh, wow, finally a, a shot that's in focus, and you can see clearly, and the, the house looks really creepy. I'm like, okay, maybe they're starting to catch your stride. Because like you said, this film switches between aspect ratios like one one scene will be like you said where it's literally square in the middle of the screen and then the next scene it's the full like they had no concept of consistency in that regard either right but so you're like okay finally maybe they're catching their stride i can see clearly it looks good uh they get to this house which is clearly abandoned i mean Nobody lives here. This is like this is akin to like me and uh, my, the episode last week with two, we 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 covered tourist trap. Me and Brett Laurie just covered tourist trap, and like I was making the comment, why do all these people keep stopping at this gas station, which is clearly abandoned, thinking that it's it's the same thing here. Like this, nobody lives in this house. It's boarded up, gutters are falling down, but they think that somebody lives there and they're going to go use a phone. Yeah, and the guy walks in. Um, I can't remember. Is it breakfast that's shouting for the phone? Like, hey, I just want to use your phone. Do you have a phone I can use? That's for a phone? Okay. The thing I, I didn't understand about this is because, like you said, this house is clearly abandoned. Clearly abandoned. And he's talking out like somebody actually does live there. Like, if you are going to call out, at the very least say, hey, is anybody here? Does anybody live here? You know, like that kind of thing, just to make your presence known. But no, he's actively asking, like, this is, you know, a Ramada Inn. Like, hey, I need to use a phone right now. Like, look around, dude. Yeah. Nobody's here. There's not even furniture in the fucking place. Um, and ca- uh, breakfast immediately. Like, okay, so, I, okay, I will back up because I was making a point about how this establishing scene looks really great. Once they get into this house, you can't see a fucking nope. thing. It Everything's out of focus. It's too dark. This film, not only do they not use microphones, they don't use lighting. <laughs> so breakfast immediately he's like fuck this i'm not staying in here i'm going brian's like well fine i'll I'll find a phone so breakfast takes off running he gets freaked out the white guy brian continues to explore just screaming out i was getting so fucking annoyed oh my gosh it was endless like the amount of times he says phone don't make a drinking game of it you will kill yourself like don't it's not worth it no yeah you are not exaggerating i was like shut the fuck up nobody literally Hey, I need to use your phone. Hey, I need to use your phone. I hear you up there. I need to use your phone. Maybe he doesn't know how to dial, so he's desperate for somebody to join him and like dial the numbers. I don't know. I mean, I guess it makes his death scene a tad amusing. Oh, it was so satisfying. Honestly, it gave me scary movie vibes when that girl was giving her presentation and the teacher's like, oh, shut the fuck up. Yeah, and I just like, that's her, like, same vibe because literally Axum comes down is like, I'm sick of hearing you call for a phone and just like bitch slaps him and knocks him out. He kills him with the phone, which is so fitting. So again, slivers of little things in this film that are like, okay, because he, 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 he's walking, Axum is following him and he picks, Axum picks up the, the phone and it's one of those rotary dial and he starts like dialing. 
And then when he gets to Brian, Brian turns around and he fucking bashes him in the face with the phone. I'm like, fuck, thank you. You let him have it with the phone. Now we don't have to fucking hear him beg for a phone 50 fucking times. He got his phone. Okay, so why the fuck is this film called Axum? I guess Phonum wasn't as uh, appealing. <laughs> Phonum. Machetium. Machetium. I don't know. Yeah, so we cut back to breakfast and he's running through the woods. I, we get this sort of like little moment of like, oh, should I go back to help my friend? Well, no, fuck him. Uh, and he takes off. But my thing is like, why is he so freaked out? Nothing happened. Like he, nothing happened. Yeah. He didn't see anything. He didn't like know somebody else was in the house or anything. I don't understand where that panic is coming. From. No, he, he's literally like running and he's like, Oh, I got to get the fuck out of here. I got to, you saw nothing. You heard nothing. You literally walked through the doorway of a house and then took off running. Like you have no clue. Your friend's dead. I don't know. Then we cut back to the, these girls, the girls back at the house are sitting around asking. I, I think they're trying to talk about like, Oh, do you think what Michael told us last night is true? That story. And they're like, I don't know. And the, his girlfriend is like, I, why wouldn't he have told me that before? And the one girl's like, that's men for you. They don't tell us anything. Can I say, I'm actually really glad this scene is in the movie because had it not been for this scene, I don't think I would have understood that that whole flashback thing was him telling a story. Yes, exactly. There's no inference being made that like, Hey, Michael is speaking to the group at the fire pit. And this is the story he's saying, like you get none of that at the time. So the only way I knew as a casual viewer that that was a flashback of the story was because they say, Hey, do you believe that story he told us last night? And then I'm like, Oh, okay. That makes sense now. Yeah. One of the few moments here where you can actually hear the characters because there's only like three of them and they're not talking over each other. I also like that. They, they are like, Oh, uh, Oh girl. Did, did Michael, did you get with Michael last night? Was he good in bed? And she's like, Oh, he tore it up. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, do girls really, I don't know. Do they, do they say that? That's he tore it up. He tore it up. Breakfast then runs back to Sarah to tell him that they need to go. He's like, we need to get the fuck out of here. And she's like, I'm not going anywhere. I went for Brian. And he's like, well, fuck you then. I'm running all the way back to Baltimore. Why? Why? He literally has not seen anything. Yeah. There's a very early and unnecessary panic happening in this, in this movie. Well, back at the house, one of the guys has to take a piss and Lord knows this film has not used any sort of folly effects or sound effects or anything. These fucking microphones, anything sound wise, the entire film until it comes to this pissing scene, which we hear loud and clear his piss going into that toilet. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, fuck the one scene you actually maybe put a fucking microphone on and you stick it in the toilet so we can hear the piss going in. Come on. But he's done. And when he looks out the window, he does see Axum creeping around outside. And I love this. I love this. He's clearly panicked. He runs downstairs and tells the group, I just saw a big tall motherfucker creeping out outside. What do two of them respond? How do they respond? They leave the house and go. they go back to the fire pit to fuck. Oh, okay. That's a reasonable decision. Yeah, your friend just told you a big fucking hawking man was lurking outside and you guys decide to leave and go to the fire pit and fuck. And he, this dude, I don't know who he is. I don't know who this girl is. This is one of the 50 people that showed He is like trying to smooth talk her. He's like, you're so, girl, you're so fine. I could kiss your daddy's ass. 
<laughs> and she's be, she's getting all flattered by it. And she's like, oh, I'm trying to like listen because they're again, they're not using any mic or any sort of wind thing. You can hear the wind through the, the camera microphone. So it's hard to say or hard to hear what she's saying. But she's telling him, I just want a man with money. Do you have money? And he's like, oh, baby, I got more than that for you. And then they like literally start to fucking have sex. I don't know. All I have is a note that says um, around this time, I don't understand why everybody came to this house in the woods and they chose to bring all these white clothes. Oh, God. That's what I'm saying. Like, you, the only, it becomes to the point where you're only, you're only distinguishing factor between these characters is like what they're wearing, but then they, they change clothes so often that it's like, wait, I just thought you were wearing, I don't know. <laughs> now we get to another dinner scene where they're talking about their friends missing, the two that went off. They're like, maybe they were gone too long. Maybe we should go look for them. When they hear a scream... And, and they run to the front door. I don't know. The one guy's like, I'm not getting up. I'm staying right here and finishing my dinner. So the other group gets to the door and the two friends that were just fucking at the fire pit come in and he apparently has been hurt. He's holding his hand. And so he's freaking out. Everyone's screaming. Can I ask, did you rewind this to make sure you didn't miss something? I mean, no. <laughs> okay. That's fair. I mean, I think if it hadn't been for us recording this podcast, I probably wouldn't have bothered. But just knowing, like, trying to keep up with this to take notes and everything, I was like, did I miss something here? Like, they were just outside. They're all inside. And suddenly there's just, like, murder happening. Like, where? And it, it's a, a repeated thing in this movie, you know? Like, the, the two bums that we were talking about, the drunk bums, you know, fight. Like, you saw them. You go back and talk to them. Like, why don't we see any of that? It's a lot of, like, just jumping from the action to the reaction. Yeah. Well, and then I guess, I guess I didn't really think about that because my level of realism was shattered right away when Brian's body falls through the door. So the white kid that was just killed in a house, not even the same house. How did he get to this house? So did Axum carry him all the way over to throw him through the door? Right. Especially if we're talking about him looking for that house for eight or nine hours straight in the middle of the night, you know, like how far away is that house? And, and that's another thing I want to bring up really quick. We have no concept of like distance in this movie. You know, when people are outside later, like run, running through the woods or anything, are we supposed to, you know, think that, Oh, they're really deep in the woods. They're about to, you know, Blair witch and kick a fucking map into the Creek. Or are they actually just 10 feet in the backyard? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is there's also locations. Like I'm not, I'm not sure like wh whose houses these are. I, I mean, I know that this is the grandpa's house, but then here towards the end of the movie, we get all of these different houses. I'm like, wait, whose house is this now? Like it's just random locations. And like, you're right. There's no sense of uh, distance, how far they are. I, I don't, I mean, this film just gives us nothing, like nothing. Like it doesn't want to yeah. give us give the audience anything. And, you know, it's like the director, I don't know what he was thinking. I'm like, he maybe had an idea of like everything that was supposed to be going on and like what the story was and who these characters were, but he wasn't uh, skilled enough to, to at least know that if you're going to make a movie, you have to let your audience know that too. Like it can't be all in your mind. Exactly. The director basically got a really good location with the grandfather's house and then he got a really good, you know, foreboding location with this like empty abandoned house. 
And he wasn't able to really marry them together to where it made sense with the script. It's just two separate things happening at different times. And we're as viewers just totally lost. And it, it becomes worse because when the characters here split up and they're just running and each of them are ending up in the different houses and you're trying to keep track because like one character will be in one house one minute and the other character will be in the other house the next minute. And then like a second later, they're in the same, they somehow get into the same house. It's like, what the fuck? What the fuck? Um, I do like the fact that they try to run outside and they see Axum doing something. He's like bending over a car. This in like the least, you know, uh, intimidating manner possible. They can't even see his face because he's bent over and they immediately all freak out. Yeah. And we get that reaction twice. Yes. Michael's reaction twice where he's like, oh shit. And then like the second, like, oh shit. And then they run in the house. Did they not know which take to use? Did the director just watch both takes, take a drag of his cigarette and say like, you know what? Fuck it. Just use them both. Oh, I think so. I mean, they have to, they, they want to make it as dramatic as possible. right? Oh shit. Oh shit. But then the God, they run inside and they all have been given the direction to run straight at the camera. That's pretty much it. Including the last guy who runs and literally stares right into the camera for about 15 seconds. And is like screaming in the most ridiculous way possible. And it took, I mean, not that this film is engaging by any means, but like, the, nothing in this film has been that sort of self-aware. So to have this particular scene happen, you're just like, oh, come on. Like, what are you doing? Like, you're breaking the whole, like, you're breaking the fourth wall. And it makes zero sense based on what has been, how this film has been going so far. Like, ugh. Yeah, it's very cringy. Well, thank God, like, Axum is like, fuck this. So he, he um, like, charges into the house. Oh, wait. Well, no. What they do is they convince one of the guys to go out and try to start the car, remember? And then, like, he gets out there and he shuts the hood and Axum appears right behind him, which actually is pretty effective, I will say. And at some point, doesn't he break back inside or something? Or did I hallucinate that? No, he runs. the the Once Axum tries to attack the guy, he runs back inside and we get this really weird like double double filter effect thing. So I don't know. But then when he runs back inside, Axum does break inside and he like lifts the machete up towards the camera. And then it goes to commercial or something like it literally fades to black. Like this is where we put the commercial for when this airs on TV. It fades to black with Axum staring at the camera, raising, raising the machete. And then when it comes back, all of the characters are all of a sudden in the woods. Yeah, we what what happened? We were all just in the house a second ago. With Axum in there getting ready to hack them all, but now they're in the woods. All right, I'll go with it. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, I I, I'm a, I guess I just, in my mind, was like, okay, I guess they ran out the back door. I don't know. But then, like, they start arguing about not wanting to be killed, and then they all decide they're going to split up. Is this also when the guy is describing Axum? To his friends, he's saying something like nasty, trifling ass, dirty ass, ashy ass. Like that should have been the description of the killer on the back of the, the VHS box. Like it's pretty great. Oh, yeah, you're, that is. He is saying he's like, I don't I didn't come here to be killed by no nasty ass, ashen ass motherfucker with a, a big knife. I don't know. They decided to split up. I, one of the guys with glasses is walking with another couple. And I mean, for people that are like scared and trying to get away, they are talking so fucking loud. 
I mean, they are screaming at each other. I'm like, you guys are not trying to be conspicuous at all. Like this killer can hear you. Like you are loud. Which is funny because I have a note later that Axum himself is not the quietest. He's grunting like a Scooby-Doo villain. Like he's just like, Oh yeah. I I love that. But um, they decide. So, okay. So Tony and these, this couple are walking and I, (sighs) they, they get mad at Tony for being like, too loud i don't know so they the couple like take off really fast and leave him and so he's sitting there talking to himself he's like i don't know what the fuck i didn't come here to be and all of a sudden axon comes up behind him with a baseball bat and hits okay there is a youtube clip guys again if you don't want to waste your time watching this movie google best part of axon on youtube and this is it it comes up it's like a 13 second clip it is this guy's death scene because i can't describe it i mean he, he gets hit in the head, and then we get this very close-up of his eyes and his glasses quivering, uh, where it's clear... The glasses are literally bouncing up and yes, down. Yes, it's clear that he's doing it, but they have it so close up on his face that you don't actually see his hands, but his glasses are quivering up and down, and then it cuts, and he's laying on the ground, and somehow he had a gun? Because Axum picks up a gun that's laying on the ground next to him and throws the baseball bat down. Can we just talk about the glasses bouncing up and down? Like, first of all, it's almost like this movie knew that gifts were going to be a thing someday. And like, that just was going to be one of the best gifts ever. But then on top of that, I think this movie has the distinct privilege of being so uniquely bad that it's instantly recognizable. Like, for example, if you're talking to somebody and you say, you know that movie where you can hear the director yell cut? Oh, Axum. Or like, you know that movie where the guy screams and his glasses bounce up and down on his face? Oh, yeah, Maxim. Like, I don't know if that's embarrassing or honorable or just both. <laughs> well, you know, to have your movie recognized by like one particular shot, I guess that's that's quite an accomplishment, even if it is a ridiculously terrible, out of place thing. But yeah, but but that but the thing is, Chris is. <laughs> This character doesn't die because he's back later. So why is he on the ground? I guess he got knocked out. All right. I'll go with that, I guess. Because he shows up later and he's like, he does like touch his head for a minute. He's like, oh, that motherfucker hurt me. But he's back. He's back. So he doesn't die. I, but this scene is so ridiculous. Like I said, I can't even describe it. Like we are not doing justice how ridiculous this, this whole thing is. And where this gun came from. Can I also say, I really hope to the listeners out there, we're not making this sound interesting in any way. It's really not. Like, I think this conversation is about 20,000 times more interesting than this actual movie. And just to, to tell you, this movie is 70 minutes long. I watched it over the course of two days because I couldn't do it. I literally just could not do it. I watched about 35 minutes and I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm throwing in the towel. I can't do any more today. And then I, I'll pick it up again tomorrow. And that's what I had to do. I did the same thing. Yeah. The first time I watched it, knowing we were going to do this, it took me about three times. I did it. I, I did it in about 20 minute chunks. I'm like, okay. And the second time I'd watched it yesterday morning, uh, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give it my full undivided attention. I even put my phone down and every, I, and I was like, I'm going to try to watch this. I'm going to try to see what I can gather from this outside of being just so in awe of it and, and its absurdity. I like, I was like watching it. Okay. I want to know what, uh, 
plot details? Is there anything revealed in this film? And I will say I did catch a little, a little bit of things I didn't notice before, but still, this is just an exercise in who you, again, anybody that sits there and says hereditary midsummer, uh, Anything is the worst horror film oh, they've ever seen. You don't even know. like <laughs> No. But then we get after. So after this happens with the glasses guy, we cut to this girl. At, she's back at the house, I guess. and Or she's been left there because when she tries to go out the door, Axum comes up behind her and hits her in the face with the machete. I don't know who this was. I will say she looks rather happy to have a machete buried in her face. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you be happy to get out of this movie? Like, I'd be smiling too. And if you don't believe me, guys, look at look up stills for this. I think it's one of them you'll find. She literally is like smiling, and this machete is in her face. I'm like, and actually, and Chris, the effect is fine. Like, actually, this effect is fine. I know how they did it, but it's fine. I mean, at least they put some. Oh, it's a it's a classic Savini effect where you just cut out a portion of the blade and you know rest it against somebody's body, and yeah, it's it's done well there's no problem with it or anything but she's smiling she's like thank god i get to fucking leave this fucking set (laughs) but uh yeah so she's macheted again no axe okay this is perhaps my favorite part of the film and it's we cut back to sarah and if you forgot who sarah was (laughs) don't feel bad i'm sure everybody um it's the white girl (laughs) that was with breakfast and brian (laughs) I got, just when I think that I could not be like it, my fl- jaw on the floor at stupidity any more in this film, this scene comes along. Now, before, because I already know we're going to talk about what happens in this scene, but before that, let me just say when your car breaks down or you run out of gas or whatever it is, why is people's first instinct in this movie is I'm going to go into the woods? Like, wouldn't you just follow the road or the path or something? Because I feel like that's kind of where civilization is sort of built from is a path or a road versus nature itself. <laughs> like, why are you going into the woods? Well, we get no explanation because the last time we saw her, she was hanging out at the car waiting for Brian. But now she's in the middle of the woods. What makes this scene so absurd is this broad. Stand, it's, it's like she's standing and pla- she's not walking. She's standing calling for Brian. And literally, she's she trips over nothing. I mean, she's standing in place. She trips, falls onto the ground. She gets up, walks another three feet, trips again on nothing. <laughs> gets up, stands up, walks another foot, trips to the ground, falls on nothing. And she's like, oh, oh, every time she falls, oh, bitch, what are you falling on? You're walking in grass. But wait, you also forgot. She gets up, and you know what happens again, Troy, for the fourth fucking time? <laughs> she she trips again. I'm like, put this fucking bitch out of her misery. She can't walk. Like, put her out of her fucking misery. And then we hear uh, Axum grunting all of a sudden. Grunting behind her. You hear him go, ooh, ooh, ooh. and we see him. Arr. Arr. I will say, she's the probably the best actress in the in the film. I mean, she's actually trying. Like, she... I don't know. I, I feel like for the director telling her to fall four times, barely moving, she took it like a champ. Did you kind of um, get vibes, not to bring up Scary Movie again, but did she kind of remind you of the one in the garage that's like, please, I'm just a day player. Like she kind of yeah, looks like Yeah, 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 yeah. 
But what I love about this is as she finally get she finally takes off running and Axum, I guess he's chasing her. I don't know. She disappears from the film. We never find out. What, I'm 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 assuming in my mind Sarah got away. That's what I want to believe. I do like that she did not trip once running away, but she did standing there. Uh, yeah, but I'm. Uh, we don't see her the rest of the film, Sarah. In my mind, Sarah got back to Baltimore just fine. Um, we cut to another random couple that got separated from the group and they are literally guys. They're literally arguing about whether what they are seeing in front of them is a car or not. I'm so glad you brought this up because he literally says like, we're saved. It's a car. The girl goes, are you sure? Like what else is, what else is a car going to be mistaken for? Like this isn't, you know, the first season of Hee Haw on DVD. Like, What did you think this was going to be? What else? could? I did not understand that. And I think he even makes fun of her for it. He's like, what? He does. He's like, what do you mean? It's, it's a car. No, it's a, oh, it's a right here. It's a car. Okay. And she's okay. Oh my God. She slaps him. And all of a sudden he turns into the most flamboyant gay man ever to exist. I wrote down. I'm not kidding. Troy. I wrote, this is a goddamn drag queen. <laughs> Angela in season three of untucked. Like I don't have somebody slap me. I'll never have somebody slap me. If I want somebody to slap me, yes, I could probably go out and get somebody to slap me. Cause I'm what sickening. Like I, felt the whole time like he is a drag queen waiting to happen if he ain't one already oh my god thank god because I, I wasn't the i was like he just literally turned into the most, he is like girl you did not just slap me nobody touches this face girl i cannot believe you just did that girl nobody touches my face you slap me you really slap me out here girl girl you better check yourself i mean it turns into like what the fuck 50 percent of the dialogue in this movie is this right here like this is <laughs> it's unending and I love it. I actually, I was, I was cracking up. I was like, Oh girl, you, you, you tell that bitch. She is just, he is not happy that, that she slapped him. I can't believe you slapped me in these woods, girl. Who you think you are? You don't tell. I was like, you go, you go, whatever your name is. <laughs> and then we get another couple <laughs> running through the woods when he falls. And of course, you know, it's the early nineties because what does he say to her? I've fallen down and I can't get up. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh my God. And they hear something and they get up and take off running. And then we get the exact same, the girl running. It's the exact same take twice. Again, the director does not want you to miss this in case you have a tiny bladder or if you just needed to sniff some coke in the bathroom for a second to stay awake. Like he's like, no, you're going to know what's going on. Do what you got to do. Come right back. It's the exact same take. She jumps over the camera, runs in the woods screaming, jumps over the camera. It's tw- two times in a row. And then we cut back to this guy in the white who, you know what? He is having a fucking blast. I will give this guy credit. He is acting like a fucking ninja. Later in the film, he's twirling around trees. Uh, right now, he's acting like he is holding an imaginary gun and, and and tactically trying to get back into this house. He is, he, you know, he's having fun. Bless, he's having a good time. I'm not going to say anything about this guy. He, he knows what he's in as a piece of shit. He's just living it up. Let him have his fun. And now we cut back to the guy in glasses who I thought was dead. This is this is when he returns. The guy who got hit in the head with the glasses. I was so confused. Like, I really thought he was just dead. And I was like, wait, are there two? I think there are two. But isn't this the one that died? And it really threw me for a loop. I did not understand. The only reason I knew it was him is because he's wearing the exact same. He's the only character wearing khaki pants. So... He shows up and he's now, but he's in a different house now. This house is, I don't, is this, whose house is this now? I have no idea. The geography is so fucked up here. Nikki is also in a, is she in the same house? She must be. Yeah, that was the vibe I got is they're in the same house. 
Yeah, so Nikki is the other girl. She's the only girl I know her name because it's mentioned like when that girl runs up to her earlier in the film and she's walking with her boyfriend. She's like, hey, Nikki. That's it. I, 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 <sighs> Nikki could have been an amazing final girl, but unfortunately, uh, all she does is she <laughs> she just stands in the closet and she hears Axum like roaming around. And so she's like, oh, God, please save me. In the meantime, did Tony... Literally sit in a chair and cover himself with a blanket. That's what I was wondering, because I remember a shot of her walking into a room and there's like a chair with tarp draped over it. So is is he under the tarp hiding or? Yes. yes. Okay. Because Axum walks in later and sees the same thing and just ignores him. I'm like, how do you not know that there is a person sitting on it? So... Okay. The guy in white, who I thought was... So is the guy in, I'm so confused because I thought Michael was the one that invited everyone to his grandpa's house, right? Right, he was. But Michael is not the guy in white, is it? Uh I only say uh, this questions. I know. I only say this because it's the guy in white who finds the grandpa when he's searching through the house, he opens the pantry and he finds the, the dead grandpa and he's like, "Oh my god, he killed my grandpa." I'm like, "Wait. Wait. That's Michael's who are you?" How is this your grandpa? Right. And it's another fade to black moment here too, where they find the the dead grandpa and then it's like, okay, commercial break, fade to black. Okay. Chris, are you trying to tell me this group of 20 people have been in this house all weekend and not known that there's a dead grandpa in the pantry? Yeah. Like, first of all, how many dinners have they had? I I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Not only that, but he, but he, I will say he also finds his grandpa's. The gun is still laying there that the grandpa was trying to uh, to, to load. So he he at least um, takes the gun. Not before this other random girl appears, and he's like, "We got to get out of here." He killed my grandpa. I don't know. She and then he t- he takes her to a different house because the scene then cuts and they're running into a different house, and she's crying about being scared and the fact that Sean, whoever the fuck Sean was, is killed, and she's scared. And he's like, you shut up. He's like being real mean to her. He's like, shut up, shut up. And uh, they they try to go upstairs when all of a sudden Axum is upstairs in this other house, even though 30 seconds before he was in a different house. Right. Now, I will say when Axum appears, the guy, I think it's Tony. I don't know what the fuck is it. Michael, who knows? Takes off Ronnie. He leaves the girl. Yeah, that was pretty great. He like literally he le- he pushes past her and like leaves her on the staircase to get hacked to death. And she's got a good scream too. I'll give her that credit. I thought her scream was pretty good. But then he runs out. But then he runs back in and goes back upstairs and gets and gets gets shot. Axum actually uses a gun. He uses the gun that he took from the glasses guy and shoots this dude in the ass. First of all, can I just say this part, Troy, I was hollering watching this because I totally forgot this happened and watching it, you know, as it unfolds, you clearly see Axum standing there with the machete, right? So you, you, you know, like the machete is the danger, like, and you, what's funny is you mentally know that he also has the gun because we saw him pick it up, but it's not like your first thought, you know, he's been hacking people up with the machete. He's been walking around with the machete. We know he has the gun, but it hasn't really been impactful in any way. So when the guy runs past him up the stairs 
and Axum just watches him go, doesn't move the machete an inch, and just like open fires. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> I don't know why I found it so funny. Well, it's quite jarring, yeah, because it's like, oh my god, you fought, you got a, this killer using a gun now, and then like, yeah, he shoots him in the ass. He's upstairs, saying, oh my god, I got shot. But Axum goes upstairs and finishes the job. You hear the gun go off. But then he's immediately at a different house now. He immediately go, is now at the house with Nikki, hiding in the closet. And he doesn't, like, go into the closet that she's in. But apparently she's been in this closet for how long and she did not notice there was a Party City skeleton hanging next to her? <laughs> is this supposed to... Is this... Okay. Is this supposed to be, like, a real person skeleton? Or was this a... Like... Uh, I'm confused. Whose skeleton is this? I'm not sure. Honestly, I'm not even sure of the body count at this point because how many people has he actually killed? Okay, so he killed he killed Brian with the phone. He killed the girl with the machete in the face. He killed the girl on the staircase just now, and he shot what's his name. So that's four so far. Out of like a cast of what twenty three or something? Yes. Like, there's just so many of them. I'm like. Really done much. The amount of people that survive this film is insane. Like literally. So she screams. She sees the skeleton and she screams. So she runs out of the closet and is immediately attacked with the machete. And there's another cool effect where, you know, he's whaps her in the arm with the machete and we see it go into her flesh. Although that fucking looked like it hurt and she barely reacts. Like that thing, that machete is like inches impaled under her arm and she barely reacts. She's like, oh. And what's really funny about that is that's clearly a nasty wound. Like, it's really, really bad. But earlier, when the guy gets, like, kind of sort of cut on the arm or whatever, they spend, like, another 20 minutes just bandaging him and wrapping it up and treating it. And, and like, her, nobody does anything for her. She's just walking around holding it. And she's like, all right, I'm good. I was like, that had to have fucking hurt. And she's like, oh. Well, it, it just- Luckily, I guess guy the guy in glasses again. Tony shows up just in time to save the day. They he actually knocks Axum to the ground. She see, there's a moment, a flicker of like Nikki could have been a kick-ass final girl because what does she do when he when Tony throws Axum on the ground? Doesn't she pick up the? Is it the gun or no? She runs over and fucking kicks him in the head. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, so she had some fight. Why couldn't they have spent? I mean, again, again, give this character more to do. Like this could have been something and instead it's phew. now at the other house again all of a sudden all these there's so many fucking houses in this final five minutes now there's another, uh, another house and a guy the guy in white and the girl are there they hear something and like he just starts randomly shooting through the door not even knowing who it is luckily it is axum it could have been any of their 50 friends that are there but it's axum and they run like downstairs into a basement and are able to like escape through a window. And I didn't, even, I didn't catch this until the second time they, they, I watched it. It's like, they, they actually shoot him a bunch of times before they go out the window. All right. I'll trust your judgment on that because I did not remember that. But then again, I was probably like high on food fed at this point watching this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. So he gets shot quite a bit in this film and like it just, Okay, so somehow, even though these characters are all separated and we don't know where they, they all actually meet at the same location in the woods again, like they all come around and they're, they 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 meet in the same location, and it's this car they find, the same car that 
the girl, the couple were arguing about whether it was really a car or not earlier. And Michael says, oh, it's his grandfather's car. And they get into the car. It won't start. Of course, the killer, Axum, comes out of the woods and chases them all out of the car. Um, and they shoot him some more. Like, they literally shoot. How many times? He's been shot now probably a good dozen times. I don't know how many bullets these guns have, but it's obviously a lot. And then one of these characters randomly starts speaking in a Jamaican accent. Maybe it's like a, a nervous thing. He is goes on and on and on in this Jamaican accent for a while. I'm even going to attempt to do it because I know my limitations as far as accents, <laughs> but he is speaking in this Jamaican accent before finally saying, Oh, because I was confused. I was like, who the fuck is this guy with the Jamaican accent now? Like there has been no Jamaican accent. In this He finally like goes back to his normal voices, man, I got to quit playing around. This is serious. So going back for a second, when we talk about like the car not working, what exactly was the plan with that anyway? Because you got about 47 people in this movie still. And do they all think they're going to fit into a four door sedan? They apparently do because the end, the last scene of the film is <laughs> a car driving by that we're supposed to assume is all them getting away. Maybe like what kind of clown car is this? I don't know, but also, okay. So we're also missing. You're also, I also failed to mention a plot point that becomes pretty <laughs> from, uh, important here. I don't know if you caught it, but like I, it took me like a second viewing. Uh, they realize actually, they realize that the car does not have a battery in it. Did you catch this? No, I didn't. Okay, so the car. Here's the thing. This is this. This is what happens. And I didn't catch this until the second view. The car is missing its battery. One of the characters, I can't remember which one, mentions the fact that he saw the car battery laying in the woods. He's like, "Oh, I tripped over that earlier. I tripped over a car battery earlier." And I think it's the guy that's talking the Jamaican accent, and that's why he leaves the group because he goes back out into the woods to find the car battery. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. So because once they once the group runs and screaming, they ends up they end up going into a, a, a house, a different house. They crawl through the window and they're all in the basement. And so they're apparently I thought this was all of them, but it's not because like one of the characters hides on top of a shelf and then he hears somebody coming and he like jumps down and hits them. And here it is. It's the other half of the characters that have wandered off. They've all met in this house. They just all randomly have now reassembled in this house because he's like, oh, dude, I'm sorry I hit you. I thought you were the, the creature or whatever. Is it sad that I just watched this movie not even maybe two days ago and I hardly remember any of this anymore? I, I don't blame you. The only reason I remember is because I have it written down. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, it's just a. I I also will say like for the climax of the film, this could not be more ho-hum if it tried and i know that's i mean we've been ripping on this movie deservedly so so i can't expect the ending to be any better but like this is the end of your movie like this is the climax and the way it's handled is just like okay so you got the group reconvened finally they're all together you know you think there's gonna be maybe some sort of suspense anything like that no what happens is they're in the middle of talking and all of a sudden axum just walks in like literally just walks down, walks into the room and they all scream and they like back up against the wall uh, or against the stairs. And I guess they do decide like they're going to take a stand. And there's this moment where like before they open fire on Axum, Michael like 
like walks up, like gets close to Axum, and you notice Axum takes something out and tosses it at him. It's the same thing that the kid gave him. Yeah, Michael gave it to him as a kid. So I guess it's this moment of like, oh, Axum recognizes him, but what it doesn't lead to anything. Like, are we? Was that a good thing? Like, was was this a? Was this supposed to be an indication that Axum was like trying to make peace with them now, now that he recognizes them? But we don't really find out because all of a sudden the girl with the gun just opens fires and blows the shit out of him. I mean, I, I appreciate, I will say, I appreciate that story, little that little detail coming kind of full circle with, you know, the flashback we saw Michael give Axum something. And then now in this scene, Axum must recognize that it's Michael and is giving it back to him. But was it, I don't know, was it a kind gesture? What was it? I guess maybe it was like a, a friendly peace offering kind of thing, but I'm, it's hard to say really. Like, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. The girl blows the shit out of him, shoots him in the head, shoots him in the neck. And even like, you know, they're leaving and one of the characters like takes the pitchfork and stabs Axum with it and they're all leaving. But then as they're leaving, like Michael leaving comes back for a final time and he like unloads his gun into Axum, killing him. And they all then like they, they leave but right when they're gone, Axum gets right back up, grabs his machete. There's a scene where, like, it's the, I guess it's daylight now. Uh, we see the road and we see the car. Apparently the one that didn't have the battery. Apparently, what's his name, found the car battery back in the woods. We see the car whiz by as Axum steps into frame. The end credits begin to roll. Not, not Chris, before we find out that this film was dedicated to Michael Mufume's grandmother's <laughs> memory. Which is so, I, I don't mean for this to be like funny, but it is funny. It literally says dedicated to the memory of his grandmother who died in 1993. This was released in 1992. Well, bitch was still alive when that credit came out. Like what? I didn't even catch the date on it that it said 1993, but if that is right, that's hilarious. Like, was he foreshadowing his death? Did he kill her? Did he know he was going to kill her in 19? 19- I don't know. Did this movie kill her? Because I mean, I well, I'm sure if she watched it and saw this dedication, she'd fucking drop dead. I know I would. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's the best. That's Axum. And I'm like, God, Chris, I thought this review was going to be short. Didn't I tell you? I'm like, I have to guarantee this is going to be short because I don't know. Uh, what could we fucking possibly say about this? This review is almost twice as long as the movie. It really is. And Troy, we didn't even cover everything. We There's still another scene with like the director saying cameras ready oh. before a scene starts. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, guys, you have to watch this just to see we're not making this shit up. He yells cut again in one of the scenes, too. I can't remember which one. Right. Um, we didn't even talk about the music that much. Like, of course, we talked about the, the hip hop music at the beginning, but even the stock horror music is so schizophrenic. I, I'll, I got to be honest, I watched this on my computer and I had another tab open when I was watching this on YouTube and I thought something started playing on the other tab. So I was like, Where, what is that music? Where is that coming? It was the movie. It was so ill-fitting to it. And I just was, I assumed it was from like an ad starting or something on another tab. So I was just like, oh, I didn't realize that was the music for this. All right. Okay. Go off. This, I mean, I can't believe we spent this long talking about it. The film does not deserve this attention, but hopefully the entertain the episode is entertaining enough for you that it's it's worth worth the, this almost being fucking two hours long. All I can say is, if you haven't seen it, you don't. 
I mean, we just broke it down for you. I, I, I don't know, but I do feel like it's a film. And I hate to say this, but I do feel like it's a film every horror fan should be forced to watch. Just so that you can shut up about saying, you know, Scream 5 is the worst horror film you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you need to you need to add this one to your viewing list. Uh, and if you can make it through it, bless your heart. Um, because even though it's 70 minutes, I'm going to tell you, whew, it's a challenge to get through. And that those last 20 minutes when the characters are running through the woods, it becomes, uh, it just drags. Yeah, it's 70 minutes, but take the weekend. Take the weekend to watch this movie. <laughs> watch it in doses. Watch it in doses. Uh, low body count. I, mean, I, I can't find one redeeming thing like where I would say you, you're going to. Uh, the only reason I would recommend watching this is to see just how fucking bad it is. It is. I, I would even say if you are an independent filmmaker and you have an interest in making a movie, watch this because it's going to teach you everything not to do. And I did read some like uh, yeah, I was reading some some I read the Wikipedia thing on it and uh, it was like, oh, there was something about Michael Mafumi saying like, you know, he he, he got one thing he was going to be remembered for. You have to look. I can't I'm paraphrasing something like, oh, I want people to say that when they think of when they when they think of 90s horror, they're going to think of Michael Mufumi. I'm like, really, really? That's very bold. It's 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 no surprise he's never done anything else. You know, I, he has no other directing credits. Uh, he had no. I mean, he. I think it's openly admitted that he had no filmmaking knowledge at all when he made this, and it was just kind of like, oh, we're gonna make a film. But you know what? Hey, he got it made. He got it in a. In, he, got, he got it in fucking blockbuster videos. I mean, come on. I mean, that's that's something. So I have to ask you, Troy. Did you happen to look this movie up on Wikipedia? Yeah, I did read that. I just was uh, yeah, the, the little comment he made about the '90s horror that came from the Wikipedia page, I believe. Did you see the little breakdown at the top where it talks about like directed by, written by, that kind of thing? So it says on there, you know, directed by Michael Mafume, written by Michael Mafume, based on a true story. What the fuck? No, it wasn't. Then down at the bottom, the very last thing: budget, four hundred thousand dollars. Oh, it was not. So I had to look into this choice. So I went to all of the sources that were at the bottom. And one of the things that came up was like a, a Baltimore Sun article or something like that. And it basically talks about how no money went into this actual movie. The film itself was, I mean, nothing, like nothing went into it. The money was actually used for starting his studio that you mentioned earlier. What was the name of it? Something smooth or two, two smooth productions. Yeah, all the money was spent towards that. So it's funny to me that they're talking about this movie in particular having that kind of budget when, no, this is absolutely no budget. Yeah, well, you can, t I mean, nobody, nobody would watch that and think this is a $400,000 budget movie. Nobody. And if you are, uh, I mean, they couldn't even afford microphones. Come on. Come on. But yeah, guys, that's Axum. I'm glad we covered it a little bit. You know, we, we generally... I don't think we've covered a movie this bad. I don't, we, I don't think we ever will. No, you never will. Troy, the, the good thing about this is you will never have to do this again. Like you have, you know, some people can say, oh, this is arguably the worst movie ever made. No, it is the worst movie ever made. There's no debate. Facts are facts. Like water's wet. The sky is blue. Trump's an idiot. And Axum is the worst movie ever made. 
And guys, if you think there's a worse movie than Axum, please let me know in the comments when we post this episode. Please, please let me know because I will have to check it out. And if you say, if you dare say something like it follows, I will. No, no. And you know what? I won't even take answers like Troll 2. No, there's a whole documentary dedicated to Troll 2. Plan 9 from Outer Space. No, shut up. That's at least, you know, watchable. You can tolerate that and laugh about it. There... You could tell there was competency behind those films. The shots are in focus. The character you can hear what the characters exactly. are saying. This is inept all the way around. And I, I get I cannot there there's nobody that's gonna convince me there's a movie worse than this, unless it's a shitty, you know, made in your backyard movie for that you wanted to put on YouTube when you were a teenager. Okay, I might give you that, but come come on. No there is no movie that ever sat on a blockbuster shelf or a Hollywood video shelf for rental that is worse than this. Yeah. Period. Period. Yeah. So that's Axum, guys. With that said, Chris, I want to thank you for joining. And I, I should have had you do this at the beginning of the episode, even though like you were just on not too long ago with Terror Track. But just why don't you tell the viewers now or, or the viewers, the listeners now a little bit about who you are, what you do and where they can find you. And then we can we can wrap it up because two hours about Axum. Right. <laughs> People are ready to get out of here. Um, so, no, uh, I'm Chris. I do a lot of um screenwriting. Uh, I, I write a few books under my pen name C.S. James for middle grade audiences. Um, I'm currently working on my first short story collection for adults. Um, it's a horror collection, which I'm really, really excited about. Uh, I'll have more details about that um, as you know it comes to fruition. Uh, but the title of it is The Bad Things We Did. Um, it'll be available in paperback, uh, Kindle editions. I'll hopefully have an audiobook shortly after release, but you know, fingers crossed. But yeah, it's just a collection of eight scary short stories, uh, all kind of revolving around the theme of the bad things we do in life. Um, sometimes it's very monumental things, you know, whether it be like killing somebody, you know, things like that, or it could be something very uh, small that leads to terror. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about that. If you want to follow my writing journey, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, at uh, Chris has a story. Yeah, hopefully that kind of sums it up and wraps this thing up. Yeah, and I will say, um, I definitely you're going to want to check his uh, this this book out when when it comes out because you you did let me read two of the stories, and I did read them. Oh, thank you! I'm so glad. Yeah, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil anything, but I'm gonna say that both of them. There was a candy cane man. Oh, am I supposed to tell the titles of them? That's fine. Oh, you can say oh that candy again. cane man, and then the title of the the bad thing we did, the bad things we did, right? Both of them That's are phenomenal. Right. I will say. Uh, if you guys are, you know, I'm an English teacher. So I remember I, I, I have a couple short stories that are really, really kind of dear to my heart that I used to teach my, my eighth graders or ninth graders all the time. And, and, um, the bad things we did your short story without going into it, without giving anything away, definitely reminded me of one of my favorite short stories of all time, the Scarlet Ibis. Have you read that? Okay. I haven't. Um, I will say uh, the bad things we did was kind of my love letter to a Danish writer named Vili Sorensen. Uh, he wrote a short story back in the 50s called Child's Play. And it's basically these two brothers, uh, they hear about their uncle who has like a bacteria or something in his leg and he has to get his leg cut off. And so they just think, oh, okay, bacteria, you know, cut, cut your leg off when that happens. And well, they come across a boy who has fallen and he gets a cut on his leg and they're like, oh, you're going to get bacteria in your leg. You need to, you know, have your leg removed. So they literally carry the boy back to their house and strap him to the kitchen table 
and they're like, you know, don't move or anything. We got to make sure we get the bacteria. And they hack the kid's oh, leg off and they don't think anything like what they're doing is wrong or, you know, immoral or anything. They think they're saving the kids. So that's kind of where this whole thing came from is, you know, the bad things we do in life are not always the way that we see them when we do them and how they can be unintentional. And uh, yeah, so that's kind of my my jumping off point when I started writing those. Okay. The yeah, um, if you have, yeah, I would say check out Chris the Scarlet Ibis by James Hurst because it, it it's it reminded me of your story, and that's a really good thing, a really good thing. Awesome, yeah, I'll definitely look into it. It's it's quite a thought provoking story. You know, it, it's it's it was great. Um, the candy came in again. I, I I love the fact that you have uh, two. Yeah, it's it's a gay story, <laughs> and it takes place in Iowa, which is funny because I'm from Iowa. You live in Iowa currently, so that was kind of cool to see Iowa and and homos represented. So yes to that. And it was really important for me too to write something that didn't always portray like a gay couple in the best light. Like I. I feel like that's kind of controversial to say, but I think we as gay people have just as many like flaws as any other person out there. And it's important to show that sometimes. So I was more interested in writing about like the flawed toxic relationship between these two people versus just, you know, Oh, it's, you know, gay representation. We're all great. We're all perfect. Like, no, it's not like that. Thank you for saying that. Um, because that's something that I've sort of gotten a little bit annoyed with is the fact that, uh, anytime it seems like people say they want gay representation, but they want it to be sanitized. And, and anytime you pr- try to present a, a, a gay character that has some sort of flaws or you try to make a statement about things that, that happen in the gay community that are prominent and people will freely admit that, then they will be like, Oh, that's terrible. How can you portray, you know, gay people in such a negative light? That's not doing our community any good. And that's one of the things like with, with, um, with my next film, Hollow Lake, the script with Hollow Lake is that it deals with a lot of that. And, and a couple of people are like, oh, you might get some backlash from the gay community for it because it is so real. And I'm like, thing, my thing is bring it on, bring it on because it's, we're not going to sit there and pretend like you just said, we can't sit there and pretend that th- things, the toxic relationships and in, in gay and in gay relationships don't exist. And I will say I fucking hated the character of Lee. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes but uh but with that said yeah so so be on the lookout for chris's writing he does have uh those uh the the books that uh twisted books that leave you to leave you shook those are still available right yes they are they're available on amazon so those are geared more towards middle school, school kids but they're still great reads so check them out um uh, with that guys i will say that roger is going to make a return to the podcast here shortly he's coming to to vegas uh over christmas so we are going to plan to record an episode together finally. Um, and we even, we even decided on our next title, which is going to be the 2002 remake of the Japanese film, the ring. So excited about that. Yeah. So stay tuned, but Chris, again, thank you so, so much for coming on and actually watching Axum again to do this episode. I know it was torturous, but thank you. You are so welcome. I'll expect your check in the mail. (laughs) All right, guys. With that, our next episode, Roger will be back. So, yay. But thank you, Chris. All right. Thanks, guys.